Well, good morning. You ready for me to drill? <laughs> um, we're in a series right now called How Life Works. And the reason why I'm here is probably pretty obvious because if you're like me and you talk to very many people, one of the things that you hear from people a lot is that life doesn't work for them. In fact, we talked in the very first weekend that the question Dr. Phil asks a lot when people are explaining to him why they're doing the right thing, even though it isn't coming out well, Dr. Phil always asks, how's that working for you? We're, we're a weird culture, aren't we? We have more than any culture has ever had. We have more money. We have better education. We live in better homes. We have tons of labor-saving devices and entertainment running out our ears. And yet, for a lot of Americans, we come back and have to say, life's not working very well for us. And so I've, I've, I've taught this series, or I'm in the middle of teaching this series, because what I want you to know is five essential things that all of us need to understand and clearly have in our hearts and minds so that life will work for us. I think one of the saddest things that I've seen happen in life is I've seen people get to the end of their lives and not really know why they lived and not really feel like their life was worth living. And I don't want that to happen to you, and I sure don't want that to happen to me. So we're looking at five very important things. The first thing we saw was God adds. Anytime you see a plus sign, think about God, because God adds. That is his nature to add. Anytime you have an encounter with God on his terms, you will always walk away with more than you came with. That's just every time. God adds. We said the cross is in the shape of the, of the plus sign. That will help us remember God adds. Really important. A lot of people run from God because they have this feeling that if I have some sort of encounter with God, that God's going to take something away from me. You're thinking about the next guy, not God. God adds. We also saw that we ha- you do have an enemy who does want to take away from you. Jesus says he's the thief, Satan. And he said this, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So anytime you have an encounter with Satan on his terms, you're going to walk away with less than what you came with. And I want you to know about him. And we talked about him. Last week, we discussed how that sometimes people have more stuff, but they're not living large. And we said the way to live large is to take what you have in your hand, give it to God, and back off and wait and let God work with it. And that gives you the power to actually grow by multiplication. Today, however, I want to talk to you about, I think, the number one reason why life for most people, including God followers, the reason why life for most people does not work. I want to talk to you about division. Did you know that division is the very first mathematical function mentioned in the Bible? Back, I mean, the fourth verse of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 4, the Bible says, And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided, or separated, the light from the darkness. The very first thing God did with his creation uh, that regards the mathematical functions, God separated or divided. Um, for instance, uh, in this particular case, God's separating the light from the darkness. And we're glad that he did. Because wouldn't you have a hard time sleeping if finally the sun goes down and it gets dark and then 10 minutes later the sun pops back up again and it's light again and then it turns dark and then it's light again and you never really know what to expect? So God separated the light from the darkness. And then beyond that separation, he separated time into days into months, weeks, years, so that we could function with that separation. Let me give you another verse, and at first this may not sound like much, but I want you just to see the principle of division and how it works in the universe. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 8, the Bible says, When the Most High, that's God, assigned lands to the nations, when he divided up the human race, he established the boundaries of peoples. Division sets boundaries. When God put people in different places in the world, he gave them land. He gave them a place to be. And the Bible says God set up boundaries so that those people would be safe. Oftentimes, we we push back against boundaries because there's a feeling inside of us that, wow, if I have a boundary, I'm being restricted in some way. But boundaries are not there to restrict us. Boundaries are in our lives in order to give us a sense of function, a sense of well-being. 
I remember when I was in college in a psychology class, my professor told us about a study. And I haven't read the study, but I'm assuming that he was telling the truth. He said that, you know, in the progressive phase of education, some educators got the bright idea that maybe what they should do on school playgrounds is to remove the fences. Because after all, fences inhibit. And the idea was that kids, if they didn't have fences, would like, you know, explore more freely and not feel the intimidation of a fence. What they soon discovered was that the kids huddled together in the middle of the playground. When they put the fences back up, the kids went all the way out to the boundaries. God has given us the process of division so that we will set boundaries in our lives. The reason why life does not work for many American people today is that we are missing boundaries. We have not divided up our lives into workable, functional units. Uh, There's something that I guess all of us would know about when it comes to money. Uh, In order to separate the lump sum of our income and make it functional for us, address the needs financially that we have, we set up a what? A budget. That's right. What is a budget? Many of us learned what a budget was with our first paycheck. We learned the hard way because we got a check and we cashed our check and we put it in our wallet or in your purses. And you said, okay, as needs come along during the week, I will spend money. What do we learn when we don't budget our money, when we just stick it as a lump sum in our pocket, our purse, our wallet? You know, it's like the old country western song, there's too much month at the end of the money. So we establish budgets. What do budgets do? Budgets build walls around parts of our income. In in our household, the very first budget, the very first parameter that gets set is a wall around our tithe, because the Bible says the tenth belongs to God. So you know, we have lived our lives bringing that tenth to God, and God has blessed in so many ways. What we've learned is this. If we wait until we have anything left over to see if we bring God the tithe, that doesn't work. So the very first thing we do, we say the most important financial in- involvement that we have is we want God in our lives. Because as we saw in the tithing message the other day, that when we bring the first tenth, that's the act of God blessing the other nine tenths. And I desperately need God to bless everything I have. So we build walls around that. We put, we put borders. Remember, God gave division to establish boundaries. And then, well, we have to live someplace, right? So many of us have a house payment. You better put boundaries around that house payment or rent payment. Because, you know, lenders have a real problem if you don't pay that house payment. They really do. And they will come get your house. So you have to put boundaries around that house payment. And then something that's very dear to my heart or actually a little lower down, uh, food is a really important thing because we have to eat. And so we, we establish boundaries around food expenses and then clothing and, and on and on it goes. If, without boundaries, money is not functional. It, it always amazes me how some people can function so well on pretty low to moderate incomes. By the same token, I see people who who make huge incomes, insane amounts of money, and they never have enough money to pay their bills. What's missing? Division, discipline. They're missing that component in their life that's able to take lump sums, divide it up so that it becomes functional. Well, that happens with our army. We have, what, 160,000 troops, men and women in Iraq right now? Well, our government didn't just take them all over there and let them out in the middle of the desert and say, you guys figure it out on your own. The army is divided into groups of people, into ranks of officers and military supervisors because division makes life functional. And that works in the area of our lives. In any part of our lives where there isn't division, there will be waste. 
Take any part of your life, if it's not organized, if it's not structured, there will be waste in that situation. Jesus told a story about a kid who wanted to run away from home, but he wanted to run away with money. His dad was very well to do. So this kid goes to his dad and says, dad, I don't want to wait till you die. I want to get my inheritance now. And Jesus said the father gave him his share, which would have been one third of his, of his, of the dad's money. So here is a kid, 20 years old, probably 18, 19, 20 years old. He's leaving home with what we would call today millions of dollars. Sound good? Listen to what Jesus said about him in Luke chapter 15. It wasn't long Before he packed his bags and left for a distant country. There, the message has this right on. Undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything that he had. You know, I'm talking to some of you who are are kids or your, your students, and you're saying, Mark, my mom and dad drive me crazy. They keep talking to me about the value of money. I know how many pennies there are in a dollar. What your parents are trying to communicate to you is what it takes what it takes to get that amount of money and what it means and and how using money properly will have a lot to do with how well you live throughout your life. And what they want you to know is that if you blow it, you know, one thing about money, time, sex, or anything else in our lives, you can't spend it twice. That's just one of the fundamental elements of budgeting. And what happened with this young boy, he didn't use money the way his father had. His father had earned it. His father had worked hard for it. His father had carefully shepherded his money. But this boy said, I want the money so I can have a good time. And he went out and he squandered on hookers. You know, he got drunk. He got high. You know, he had friends, so to speak. You know, and he would say things like, well, my friends are there for me. But, you know, when he blew through his wad, his friends weren't there for him anymore. And the Bible said he wasted everything that he had. Why? There was no discipline in his life. He didn't think to himself, okay, I've got all this amount of money. If I use it carefully, this will last me my whole life. He just said, I'm going to spend it when I feel like it. And he went through everything that he had. The Bible says it this way, and this is a great verse about borders. In Proverbs 25 verse 28, the Bible says, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. Back in Bible days, city was protected by its walls. And if the walls were broken down, enemies could just come in and take anything they had. And here's what the Bible is saying. The Bible is saying is if I live my life without dividing up my life and setting boundaries, I'm just a situation where people can come in and take anything out of my life. Many of us are that way. You know, one thing I was discussing with a friend here at New Spring this morning before this service, I was discussing the fact that a lot of people are disciplined in like seven out of ten areas in their lives, but they're like one or two or three where they're not disciplined. In any area of our lives where we're not disciplined, people will come in and take away that which is most precious to us. And one thing I've discovered about budgeting time, money, or anything, if I don't say no to what I should, I won't be able to say yes to what I must say yes to. So I'm challenging you today, budget, divide, budget your life, budget your money. I mean, I don't know how much money God is going to allow you to acquire in your life. I hope you get rich. I hope you have a lot of money. I wish the best for every person here, but I pray that God will help you to budget it and use it skillfully and wisely. You know, you and I don't have to have everything our neighbors have. We don't have to have everything that people at work have. Isn't it interesting that when people get together, they talk about what they have, they talk about their stuff, and yet when you really listen to so many of these people, they're not really happy. They get a car, but it doesn't make them happy. They want another car. They get clothes that doesn't make them happy. They want another wardrobe. 
I'm challenging you today to budget your life. I'm, a- I'm asking you today to think about budgeting your time. All of us are given a gift of time. We're given 24 hours every day. I'm amazed at some people. Some people can get all kinds of stuff done. And the reason for that is that they divide the day up and they budget it and they use it skillfully. Others of us, we just sort of react to the day and it's like we get to the end of the day and say, I never have enough time to do what I need to do. It's because we don't budget it like we should. Here's one that's a little controversial. I think you should budget the people that you let into your life. I mean, it's important to budget who you listen to. You don't have to listen to everybody. If there's somebody in your life that drags you down and gets you doing stuff that is not good for you, you can shut them out of your life. You say, well, Mark, you're a Christian. I can't believe you said that. You're, only, you're very wise if you're careful who you let into your inner circle. If you have somebody in your life who's always critical and always fault-finding and putting you down, shut them out of your life. You can just say, my life's too short. God gave me the good sense to use division to discipline my life, and I'm sorry, but you're dragging me down all the time, and you're unhappy, and you're negative, and you're not helping me, you need to go find somebody else who will let you be in in their life because I'm not going to let you be in mine. And for some of us, that could be a friend, somebody who's kind of a hanger-on. And we may have to say, I love you very much, but man, you just drag me down all the time. I'm sorry, I can't be there. It could be a, it, you know, it could be a, it could be a mother. Some of you may just have to say to your mother-in-law, I, I'm sorry, but you know, we're just not going to be able to get along very well as long as you're in my life. I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to love you, but you just drag me down all the time. Budget, division, discipline. Because if we're not disciplined, if we don't divide up our lives, it won't be functional. And we'll get to the end of our lives and we won't know why we live. I want you to take your Bibles, if you have them this morning, and go back to the book of Judges. And, uh, and again, if you don't have your Bibles with you today, I want to encourage you just to read this whole story. Before I get into it, let me just tell you a little bit about the book of Judges. Uh, Judges was a time in the life of Israel when there was no king. And the the Bible says this about the people in the book of Judges. Everybody did what was right in his own sight, in his own mind. Sounds a lot like America, right? People just did whatever they wanted to do. They felt like it, they did it. It was a wretched time. The worst time in the history of Israel is the book of Judges. So what would happen is if they would do wrong, then God would allow judgment to come in their lives. God would allow some marauding country to come in, some people and take their stuff away. And they'd start whining to God and crying and saying, God, we're sorry. And God would say, okay. And then God would give them a judge, a deliverer for a while they would do okay. And they'd get right back in trouble again. So they had this cycle going on throughout the book of Judges. So it was on one of these occasions, they got themselves in trouble and Israel was praying. They were asking God and God gave them a judge and his name was Samson. What's really cool about Samson is the story starts out like this. His mom and dad weren't able to have kids and his mom especially wanted a baby. And one day, God sent an angel to show up at their house, and God said, hey, you're going to have a baby, but he's no ordinary baby. There are rules attached to this baby. And God said, here's the deal. You know, there are three or four things, but the one I remember from Sunday school, especially growing up in the 60s, when everybody was telling me to get a haircut, I really like this part of the Bible, because God said he can't cut his hair. <laughs> and I'll, you know, you think about how, hair how long your hair would be if all throughout your life you never cut your hair. Had to be really something. But he was a special guy. God wanted him to be a judge. And see, God wanted him to look different in this particular sense because God was wanting them to say, he was wanting to say to Israel, understand that if you want to be blessed, you have to be different. You can't be like everybody else. So he gave Samson the sign of long hair for that purpose. So Samson was a great guy. And if you read the story, and I hope you will, there are several chapters here in the middle of the book of Judges where Samson does extraordinary things. I mean, one night, you know, the Philistines are out to get him. He just picks up the gates of the city and carries them off. 
And then he took the jawbone of a donkey, killed a thousand Philistines. I mean, he's just like mighty man. He was like, he was like something out of Marvel Comics, except he was real. A lot of people have the idea that Samson was, you know, this Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of Terminator guy. I don't think he was. I think he looked very ordinary, which was always blowing the mind of the Philistines. But there was one problem in Samson's life. He, he was a good guy. I think when we get to heaven, we're going to meet him and talk to him. There was one problem in his life. He had one area that wasn't disciplined. There was one area in his life that didn't have boundaries, and it was in his sex life. I want you to look in Judges chapter 14, and we'll read through a few verses here just to kind of give you an idea. One day when Samson was in Timnah, hey, have you ever done the wrong thing because you're in the wrong place? And Samson didn't belong here. Timnah was a place, it was a city of the Philistines. The enemy, the very people that God had raised him up to defeat. Samson's hanging out down there. It was a bad place. The people, you know, they didn't have any borders in their lives. The people, you know, had all kinds of wicked sex practices. But Samson was over there, and I'm telling you, I know, I know what Samson is feeling. Samson is saying, well, you know what? I don't have to, I don't have to do what they do to enjoy being here. I can just hang with these people for a while. Well, the Bible says one of the Philistine women caught his eye. When he returned home, he told his father and mother, a young Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye. I want to marry her. Get her for me. His father and mother objected. Isn't there even one woman in our tribe or among the Israelites? In other words, people who believe like we believe. Isn't there one woman among the Israelites you could marry? They asked. Why must you go to the pagan Philistines to find a wife? But Samson told his father, look at this. Get her for me. She looks good to me. How many times do we mess up? How many times does discipline go out the window because we say, she looks good. He looks good. That makes me feel good. I feel good when I eat that. I, I feel good when I spend money. It feels good to me. It looks good to me. Well, guys, I don't have the, rest to read the, uh, the time to read the rest of this chapter, but it was a disaster. I mean, if it could go wrong, it did go wrong. It was a bad situation. And, and Samson should have learned. If you read the end of the story, you want to say to yourself, surely Samson gets it now. But if you read chapter 16, it says two chapters later, one day, one day uh, Samson went to the Philistine town of Gaza and spent the night with a prostitute. Is that a good idea? No. If you read verse 2, it says, word spread that Samson was there. So the men of Gaza gathered together and waited all night at the town gates. They kept quiet during the night saying to themselves, when the light of the morning comes, we will kill him. You know, Samson just like... Showing up at the house of a hooker, he pays his money. What he doesn't know is outside, men are out there to kill him. And if God hadn't saved him, rescued him, he'd have been killed that night. So you want to say, well, maybe by now he'll get it. But he didn't. I can't read, I don't have time to read this, but you can read it when you go home. Samson falls head over heels with a woman named Delilah, another Philistine woman. So Samson is like, you know, at her house and, you know, they're, you know, they're kind of getting it going on and everything and getting close to each other. And, and finally Samson's wanting to marry her. And I just sort of see him, you know, he's in her house and they're listening to music, maybe watching something on TV. Samson's head is in her lap, all these long braids hanging down to this hair that God has given him. And Delilah, what he doesn't know is that Delilah is like with the enemy here. And the Philistines are paying her to find out what the secret of his strength is because they know he's an ordinary guy and he shouldn't be kicking them around. And so they pay Delilah. They say, if you will find out what his secret is, we will pay you good Philistine money. So Delilah's like stroking his head and says, baby, we, we get, we're about to get married. We shouldn't have any secrets from each other. Tell me, honey, what's the secret of your strength? I want to know. 
Well, Samson has a clue that maybe this is not the best idea. So he just says to her, well, if you were to tie me with green bowstrings, bowstrings that hadn't dried yet, if you were to tie me with that, I'd be as weak as anybody else. What he doesn't know is that there are Philistines in the other room waiting to get him. So he goes to sleep. Delilah ties him up. When he wakes up, he's got these bowstrings on him. She said, Samson, Philistines are here to get you. He just, you know, does this number and snaps the bowstrings. A few days later, he's over at her house, head in Delilah's lap. She's stroking his head. She said, honey, you lied to me. You lied to me. I can't believe you lied to me. You said that if you tied, if I tied you up bowstrings, you'd be weak. And I did, and you snapped the bowstrings. Now, honey, please, I'm going to give you one more chance. Would you tell me the secret of your strength? So Samson said, well, if you tie me up with fresh ropes, I'll be weak. And she tied him all up with fresh ropes when he went to sleep, had the Philistines in the next room. She said, Samson, the Philistines are here to get you. He snapped the ropes. And she's starting to cry a little bit now. You know, tears are coming down. I'm just so hurt, Samson. You lied to me again. Tell me the secret of your strength. And he said, well, if you would take the braids of my hair, tie them up to the fabric in your loom and tie them to the beam, that will make me weak. And so she does that. He wakes up. She says, the Philistines are here. He pulls his hair loose and he thinks he's going to be fine. And he's fine, you know. It wasn't long after that, he went to sleep in her lap again. And, you know, she had been telling him this point. She said, Samson, I'm just devastated, crying. You know, you're not telling me the secret of your strength. And finally, Samson is just, according to the Bible, worn down. And finally, he says, look, if you cut my hair, I'll be weak just like anybody else. And she cuts his hair. Now, here's the point I want to get to right now, this morning. Many of us live undisciplined lives, and we find a way to make it for a while. But there will always be a point in your life and my life, if we're undisciplined, where it will come back to bite us. Let's read what happens next. In Judges 16, verse 20, the Bible says, When he woke up, he thought, I will do as before and shake myself free. But he didn't realize the Lord had left him. So the Philistines captured him and gouged out his eyes. They took him to Gaza, where he was bound with bronze chains and forced to grind grain in the prison. They ground grain by having a big thick stone that was mobile on top of a fixed stone. And what they would do is they would tie or they would bolt a donkey or an oxen to that top stone and they would whip that oxen so it would turn in a circle and grind the grain. They unhooked the oxen and they tied Samson there and they whipped him so that day in and day out he did the work of an animal. At the end of his life, on the last day of his life, the Philistines were throwing a party. They were drinking. They were getting high. They had women in there. They were just kind of laughing and making sport. And they decided they would bring Samson in so they would make fun of him. And they brought this man in who had been a hero for God, a guy that God had you know, loved and made to have special powers. They brought him in and they were laughing at him and they were laughing at Samson's God and mocking him. And you, you can imagine how that must have hurt Samson. The whole reason he was there was not that God didn't love him. The reason he was there was he didn't discipline his life. There was a little boy that was kind of leading Samson around, and Samson said, would you take me to the main pillars that hold up the building in the middle of the room? And he went there, and he put his hands on those two pillars, and he said, God, can you imagine how he must have prayed? God, I know I've been a failure, but one more time, would you please let me have your strength and your power one more time? And the Bible says God gave him awesome strength, and he pushed the pillars, and the whole place collapsed. And the Bible says that the Philistines died. But how sad. 
Hey, guys, when we get to heaven, I, I feel like Samson's going to be there. He's going to be there with all the other flawed people like you and me who maybe didn't rise up and live up to our destinies. But I think when we get to heaven, if we can, like, pull Samson aside, maybe on, you know, one of the little gardens or something in heaven, and we sit down with Samson and say, hey, man, tell us what it was like. I think Samson's going to be in heaven, and he'll look at us and say, what I could have been, what I could have been. And I think there are a lot of people in our world today, many who are Christ followers, and yet we're not what we could be because discipline is not in our lives. We're not careful with our money. We're not careful with our time. We're not careful with our relationships. We're not careful with our sexuality. And we're never what we could be. What we have to watch, here's what, I, here's what I honestly, I'm just telling you what I've seen in life for my 51 years. I, I see a lot of people that like set boundaries and they'll say, well, I'm never going to do this or I'm not going to cross this line. I've got this boundary in my life. But something will come along that leads us to fudge that boundary. A lot of us know about this one. We say, I've got a budget. This is my house payment. This is my car payment. You know, this is my clothes. Uh, you know, these are the things that I owe to the bills. And this is God's money over here. And I've got all these things. And we're thinking, I'm going to be true to our budgets. But you know what? If I use my credit card, I could get what I want and still make minimum payments and be within my budget. Boys and girls, can you say 21% interest? Or some of us have said, you know what, I, I'm going you know, to honor God with my sex life. And, and even though I'm dating, you know, I, I, I know there are some boundaries. I'm not going to cross those boundaries, and you're okay with it for a while, but then you meet this one guy, you meet this one gal, and you're saying, well, maybe I can sort of fudge the boundary with this person. And the next thing we know, we don't know ourselves anymore. Our life is out of control. My message today is this. Take stock of what you have. Take stock of your money. Take stock of your time. Take stock of your abilities. Think about your relationships and ask yourself, am I leading a disciplined life? Am I leading a life of order and structure? Because if I am, I can function. If I'm not, I can't function. The best news about God, because for many of us, this, this series is going to kind of get under our, our hood a little bit, behind our grill. And it's not going to be real comfortable. The best news about God is he will let you start over. I mean, wherever you are today, you can say, well, Mark, I haven't been leading a disciplined life. And, and here's the one that I hear that just breaks my heart. People say, well, I'm just not a disciplined person. But you could be. You could be. You know what? This is a new day today. You've already started in church. It's a brand new day. You've already heard from God. You could say, by God's grace, for the rest of this day, I'm going to lead an ordered, disciplined life. The sun, God willing, will come up in tomorrow morning. It'll be a brand new day. It'll be a brand new week. If you will take the time today to say, God, by your grace, I'm going to set some boundaries and divisions and parameters in my life so that I can use rightly the assets that you've given me. If you do that, you can lead a functional life. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help me. My guess, Lord, is that every single one of us struggles with discipline or organization in some aspect of our lives. Help us. Help us by your Holy Spirit. Make today a brand new start. Remind us that you forgive and you restore. And let us experience that with you. In Jesus' name.
everyone's still praying. You know, when we talk about accepting Christ and receiving the Lord as your Savior, sometimes we call it salvation. Jesus called it the new birth. What do we usually think about? We think about, well, if I have Christ as my Savior, I'll go to heaven and I won't go to hell. That's true. But I think there's a missing message in that sometimes, and today's the perfect time to talk about it. Accepting Christ is more than just going to heaven when you die. It's having God in your life today. For many of us, the honest truth is we really struggle to lead organized lives. Christ in your life gives you power that you don't have by yourself. And if you've never invited him in, I want to give you a chance to do that today. Because here's what the Bible says. Whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. You're whoever. And you can call. I'm going to pray a prayer. You don't have to use my words if you don't want to. But if you do want to, I'll pray it slowly. And if you mean it from your heart, God will listen to your prayer. Here we go. Jesus, I know I've sinned. But I believe you died for me. I believe your blood paid for my sins. Please forgive me, save me, and come into my life. In Jesus' name, amen. That's the biggest thing you ever did. Because God is on the other end of that prayer. That's why it's important. Hey, if you just pray with me, do me a favor, please, and do both of us a favor, actually. Part of your worship folder is detachable. If you will just put your name and address on there, somewhere I can send you, uh, you know, some address I can send something to you. I want to give you a packet. It will cost you anything. These prayers that I pray every weekend are so short, but I really want you to know Christ and know what you've done and how to make your start walking with God. These are video uh, DVDs and, and some great stuff to help you know what it means to walk with God. It's free. It will not cost you a penny. If you'll put your name and address on, on the card and check the card and say, I pray with you to receive Christ, you can drop it in the boxes by the back doors, the offering plates, or the bottom of the staircases. I'll mail it to you this week. If you're like me and you don't like to wait, you just go right back to guest services or New Spring store, hand them your card. You don't have to explain anything. Just hand them your card. They'll give you this and you can take it with you today. I'm glad you came today. We have one more week in this series and then we start a brand new series called GPS. And uh, I just can't wait to talk to you about that. That's the series about God's will and how it works in our life. 